My name is Timothy Eldred. I'm a husband, father, writer, speaker, seeker, coffee snob, pipe smoker, bourbon drinker, and a person of faith. I'm also a friendly disruptor of the status quo who's traveled the world to help people discover their identity. My mission is to end the pain of aloneness and to help people live with authenticity in an artificial world. But I can't do that alone. So I'm glad you're listening. Welcome. This is Square Peg, Round Hole. Before I jump into today's episode, I want to tell you once again about an organization I support called Hope Partners International. Now, not only do I give monthly to their mission of rescuing children around the world from poverty, I'm also on the board of directors because their cause is worth the investment of my time and my money. And if you take a quick look at their website, you'll also see the impact your investment could have on young lives desperate for your care and your kindness. So please go to hopepartners.org today and look at how you can make a difference and help. Welcome to Square Peg Round Hole. Now, you might wonder as you listen sometimes to this podcast, is like Tim like perpetually pissed off or he's just serious? I'm serious. I'm a serious guy. I don't get angry. I just am serious. I'm either serious or sarcastic and sometimes it borders on cynical. And I don't know, today might be one of those where I'm bordering between frustrated, annoyed, concerned, but I am serious. I'll try to smile the entire time that I'm speaking because I want you to hear what I'm saying and not be turned off because that guy's mad all the time. I'm not mad. I'm not mad all the time. I seldom actually get mad. I think I've got too much empathy for people, which sounds like, you know, who do you think you are? Now, I think I've got too much empathy for people in their problems because real people have real pain. Real people have real problems. But I'm going to begin this episode today with a point of view that I'm just going to assume that you might share. It might not be a fair assumption, right? You shouldn't assume. But it's an opinion that really is quite easy to hold when when you observe headlines, you watch the news and you see like all these things across the globe, daily, weekly, like violence and war and chaos and abuse and trafficking and neglect, you name it. Okay. So here it is. Here's my opinion. Ready? The world is a fricking mess. So for those of you who are religious, that was your cue. Like you can stand up, you can say, amen. That's the point of the podcast for you to make a comment. But before you assume that it's getting worse or even it's worse than it's ever been, I I, I don't know. I, I want to propose a different perspective because I'm not sure that that's actually the case. Does it look like the examples that I cited above around the increase? Well, yeah, and they might be. It's either that or we just see them more because we've got more access to like video and news and information. They're probably worse than they've ever been in some way, but is that the real problem? Because if we're not careful, we go, well, it's just worse than it's ever been. And we might miss the point. It might keep us from like digging a little deeper. Because like the challenges we face, all challenges that we face, there's a cause, there's an effect. The effect or the result has an underlying reason. There's an undercurrent to it. 
And if you've listened to me in the past at all, you know that I'm of the belief that aloneness tends to be the root cause of most of life's problems. Aloneness is a cancer that absolutely destroys our lives. And we ignore it. because Why? Because it's painful to go beneath the surface and really deal with it. But that's where you find the root that has to be rooted out if we're actually going to overcome and make progress on any issue in our life, really. Because when we feel a deep sense of aloneness, right? It's not a state of, you know, proximity, like alone because I'm alone in this office right now. It's a state of being. When you feel like a state of being of aloneness, we all have the tendency to compensate for the subsequent pain and the insecurities that typically, typically accompany the emotion of feeling alone in life. And then we end up conjuring up artificial means, right? Square peg, living with authenticity in an artificial world. So we don't want to conjure up artificial means to feel authentic when inside we're a dis, you know, a dysfunctional mess, much like much like the crazy world I began by talking about. And all I'm trying to say is I make the leap into my thoughts today between aloneness and the crazy world we live in is that there's always an underlying cause for the effects we experience, including our crazy freaking world. So, like I said, you have to dig deeper to a point when it's uncomfortable to do so. And by the way, isn't poking and prodding into our lives, into any situation, always uncomfortable? I mean, I've never like dug into my body like a finger or a foot or something with a sharp instrument to remove a splinter and thought, oh, I enjoyed that process. That was fun. Let's do, let's do that again. I mean, for four and a half years of my life, doctors stuck three five and a half inch needles into the base of my spine for steroid injections every 11 weeks. That wasn't a comfortable process. But getting to the source of suffering, all suffering, requires confronting the uncomfortable. Now, on the surface, it would be easy for people to say, and many, many do, the cause of our world conditions are a direct result of people no longer believing in God. We just disregard God. God doesn't exist. God is dead. So regardless of what God you believe in, okay, that sounds good. Sounds good. Sounds like a plausible reason. Let's go with that explanation for just a moment. So let's put God back. Let's legislate values. Let's legislate morality. Problem solved, right? Sorry, hardly. Now, I just don't believe that it's, it's that simple. And I'm a man of faith, right? I've spent my life serving a church, and I'm a pretty devout follower of Jesus. I'm a seeker. The problem is I don't know many religious people whose lives don't look any better than those who claim no faith in life whatsoever. I don't. So I'm just not willing to slap the Jesus Band-Aid on everything and pretend that'll make it all better. Now, which I'm sure that's going to make some of my Christian listeners like uncomfortable. All right. Is the erosion of faith a factor? Well, I would say it plays a significant role, but is it the ultimate cure? Sorry, I say no. I say no. 
Now, some others want to just blame it on sin. Okay, so God factor, sin, kind of related. If we would just stop sinning, if we would just be sinless, then life would be beautiful. The world would be a paradise again. We'd be back in Eden. Every day would be just euphoric bliss. Really? Really? Well, I'm sorry, then we're all screwed because even the most devout among us still disrupt God's shalom or his peace, which is how I define sin. And we do it daily. Does faith does faith make life better? Yes, absolutely it makes life better. Does faith like make life easier? No. No, not really, because life is hard. Life is life. Life is difficult. But my faith, right, my faith, I can only speak for me, my faith keeps me going and keeps me grounded, gives me hope. But it doesn't erase, like, all the consequences and chaos of my day-to-day decisions. I've got to deal with those still. I mean, if I make a choice, I've got to deal with the consequence of my choice. And I do think that my faith helps me make better decisions for my highest good, and honestly, for the highest good of others in return which I think faith has to do both. Now, as I said, I'm a seeker. Seeker, not saint. And I'm not the smartest person in the room, right, with all the answers. I'm not pretending in this podcast to be like, or any episode, to be a know-it-all. But I do believe, with all sincerity, that I have some insight on why it appears that the world is crumbling into craziness. And here it is, finally, okay? Finally getting to it. Personal responsibility is no longer a value that we, you know, see as a virtue in society anymore. Now, for years, for years I have taught, I have written, I have spoken on what I see as a foolproof recipe for our lives, okay? And it's real simple. I'm I'm pretty sure the words are my wife's, they're Cindy's, but today I'm claiming them as my own because she's not here. So... It goes like this. I've probably said it before on this podcast. Life is about choices. Choices create consequences, and the consequences of our choices can lead to chaos. So, like I said, there's always a cause to the effects we face. And so if you trace the equation there back to its root, you're more than likely going to discover it began with a choice. Simple. And so I can already hear, though, as I, as, I, as I put this thought down, I could already hear someone saying, that's right, let me tell you about a choice of what happened to me or what so-and-so did to me. Of course, of course, okay, of course. There are experiences in our lives perpetrated on us by someone else or something or other that impacted us for the negative. I get it, I completely understand that, it's a fact. But we use those as like the rule when they're really not the rule for the majority of people. They're really the exception. And even so, we will hang on those as experiences, as excuses, even though they were just the smallest fraction of our life. Did they do great damage? They absolutely did. But we hang on them as excuses. The question is, how long? How long? And where does it begin? I mean, does it go all the way back to infancy? Like I was bottle fed and not breastfed, right? If if my mom would have breastfed me, my life would have been a whole lot better. Are there situations in life, even from childhood, that scar and leave a mark? Absolutely there are. But 
how long? How long are we going to blame our problems on the decisions of other people? Now, don't hear me making light of trauma and transgressions. I am not. They're real, they're painful, they do great damage, but they cannot continue to be something we just drag along with us and not, and not deal with. So, I know that we live in a world where everything, everything, everything's somebody else's fault. It's never my fault. I'm not responsible. I mean, if I get in my head over debt, I'm not, I'm not to blame for the debt. It's the credit card companies. They're the ones who keep sending me all those envelopes and applications in the mail. My mailbox is full of those. I personally probably throw six or seven of them away a week. So, or the bank, it's the bank's fault. The bank should have never given me that loan for the boat. It's crazy, right? Banks, credit card companies, teachers. My wife's a teacher. And during her 34 years in the classroom, it is evidently clear that children are no longer responsible for their learning and education. Same goes for parents. I mean, if kids don't bring a pencil to class, or they don't do their homework, if they don't finish an assignment, whatever it might be, it's Cindy's fault because she gave them the homework. She should have had pencils in the classroom. I don't have to be responsible for that. So I'm going to go out a little further on a limb here, and I might, you know, cut myself off the tree and I'm going to provoke some anger, probably going to piss somebody off. I get it. It's fine. So I have a lot of opinions on Roe being overturned recently. A lot of opinions. I've got opinions on whether, if, or when abortion is appropriate, whether it's necessary, but my thoughts on abortions, and I'm not going to go into them because that's not the point. My point is that the thoughts on abortion are far outweighed by my ideas on responsible sex. I mean, there's only so many days a month that we can get pregnant. Now, maybe we should do a better job on teaching people, men and women, okay? Probably especially men, but men and women about the human body. But even so, even if we did a better job at sex education, are we still responsible, right? Or aren't we responsible for our own sexual behaviors? Maybe, just maybe we should do a better job on teaching young people about how to use money in econ class in high school or just by our parental like example. But even if we do, even if we fail at helping them understand money, the financial responsibility, isn't it still on, isn't it still on us? Is it somebody else's fault? Because, well, they never, they never taught me. And by the way, just since I'm on a soapbox, and by the way, contrary to popular opinion, no. You don't need a credit card to survive in the world. I mean, just just thought I'd throw that out as a bonus, right, to my son's high school teacher who just claimed that they would never make it anywhere in life unless they got really good credit and they should start like at 17, applying. You don't need a new car. You don't have to go in debt for college. If you do go to college, you don't have to live on campus. You don't, you don't have to have an apartment. You don't have to break the bank when you get married. If you get married, and by the way, you don't even have to get married. You, you, you don't need a significant other to be significant. Because there's somebody out there who needs to hear that. Because you've learned ever since you came from kindergarten, you came home like, who is it? Do you have a boyfriend? Do you have a girlfriend? Like The list goes on and on of the things you don't need to do. But, but very few people are actually willing to look at an alternative to like the norms of society and say, okay, enough's enough. 
I mean, there's got to be a better way, right? Isn't there a different choice that can be made that's better than just going along with all this status quo stupidity, which now involves blaming everybody else for my situation? And that's what's happening. I mean, maybe we should just stop saying, well, no one ever taught me. I didn't know. Not my fault. Here's one for you that I just encountered a few days ago. I recently heard someone actually identify their child as a COVID baby. What the hell? A COVID baby? That is that going to be the new excuse like 18, 19, 20 years from now when kids fail? Like, well, they can't help it. You know, they were a, they were a COVID baby. I'm pretty sure that I probably could have been a professional in the NFL, like a punter at least, but, you know, had chicken pox when I was a kid. Goodness. So the question isn't only where does it begin, like when does it start, but where does it end? When does it end? I don't know exactly, but I do know how it ends. It ends when we learn to start taking personal responsibility for our choices. Now, I read a great article this morning. I really want to share all of it with you, but I'm going to share bits and pieces. It's by Mark Manson. And I'll put a link in the show notes because it's a great read. You should take the time to look at it. Now, Mark, if you don't know who he is, he's probably best known for his book, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a F***. And if you are, like, aren't too you know, thin-skinned for a little, or really actually a lot, a lot of coarse language, pick it up. It's a good read. It's a good book. And so in this article today, he writes about William James, who's recognized as the father of American psychology and um, really one of the most influential philosophers in the last hundred years, people say. Now, James was born into a wealthy family, privileged family, but in his childhood, he just really suffered from serious, serious health issues that plagued him throughout his entire life. And in addition to health problems that only got worse as he entered adulthood, his relationship with his father um, just disintegrated, fell apart. And so the idea that he had, which was never supported, and this dream of becoming a painter, that failed miserably too. And in the midst of his challenges, he just really suffered with some severe bouts of depression and a lot of suicidal thoughts. But good news is he was smart. So between his intellect and the family connections, he was admitted to the Harvard Medical School, but his plans just they didn't pan out. You know how that goes? He had great plans, but they just they don't pan out. And so there's a lot of details about his life in Mark's article that I can't cover, but I, I want to read an excerpt about James' life after, after he had uh, spent some time traveling abroad to the Amazon. And it says this, the young man managed to return home to a disappointed father, nearly 30 years old, still unemployed, a failure at everything he'd ever attempted with a body that betrayed him and wasn't likely to ever get better. And despite every advantage and opportunity he had been given in his life, he still failed them all. The only constants in his life seemed to be suffering and disappointment. And the man fell into a deep depression and planned to take his own life but first he had an idea. He made an agreement with himself. In his diary, he wrote that he would try an experiment. He would spend an entire year believing that he was 100% responsible for everything that occurred in his life, no matter what. 
And during this time, he would do everything in his power to change his circumstances, no matter the outcome. If, he wrote, at the end of one year of taking responsibility for everything in his life and working to improve it, if nothing in his life had actually improved in that time, then it would be apparent that he was truly powerless to the circumstances around him, and then he would take his own life. So in his own words, James referred to this experiment, right, as, as a rebirth. He'd go on to later credit it for all his accomplishments in life. So how does this story about William James apply to my friendly rant today? Simple. I'm going to quote Mason. There's a realization from which all personal growth emerges This is the realization that you are responsible for everything you do in your life, no matter the external circumstances. Let that sink in. Let me read that again. There's a realization from which all personal growth emerges. And this is the realization that you are responsible for everything you do in your life, no matter the external circumstances. So yeah, here's what he's saying. Life's about choices. Do we always have control over what happens to us? Of course we don't. But we do control how we interpret what happens to us and how we respond to what happens to us. I'm going to quote Mark again because he says it better than I could. He says, whether we consciously recognize it or not, we are always responsible for our experiences. Choosing to not consciously interpret events in our lives is still an interpretation of the events in our lives. Choosing to not respond to the events in our lives is still a response to the events of our lives. Again, it just, it comes down to choice. It comes down to choices. Whether we're choosing how to respond to the hand we're dealt or respond to the hand that dealt us a blow still our choice. But in the end, we, we, we can't continue. We, can't, we cannot sustain any kind of quality of living if we continue to blame other people. So we got to stop doing that. Worse yet, we just have to stop our unwillingness to take personal responsibility for decisions, either my decision or the decision that somebody did. I still have a choice of how I review it, how I responded to it and how I learned from it. So, as you look at the world and think it's worse than ever, please just pause. Pause to consider. Just consider for a moment the possibility that the consequences and chaos we encounter is our growing propensity to shrug it off as someone else's problem instead of our own responsibility. Now, I'm 100% convinced I'm right about this issue. And I'm 100% convinced I could be wrong. So if you've got a different perspective, I'd love to hear it. You can go to timothyeldred.com. You can leave a note. You can send me an email. I am always, always open to dialogue because these topics that I'm trying to discuss are difficult and they really deserve our combined effort to go beneath the surface even when it's uncomfortable. At least that's how I see it. As always, I encourage you to live your humanity with humility and authenticity in this artificial world. Don't, don't, 
compromise your identity. And don't apologize for being a square peg in a round hole. Now, before you close out of the app that you're using, please be kind, leave a review, preferably five stars. And I'd really appreciate it if you would share this podcast on social media. Thanks for listening. I'll catch you next time.